Welcome to another edition of Off Topic. My ho- my name is Randy Zellia, the host uh, of Off Topic now for about the last three years here out in the swamps of New Jersey. Joining me now from 98.7 FM, former Cowboy, former Giant, former Raven. He is on every single day, Monday through Friday, 98, 98.7 FM ESPN Radio. My good buddy, Chris Canty. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Randy. As you can see, I'm repping all three teams. I got the Raven shirt on. I got the Cowboys jersey behind me, and I got the Lombardi from 2011. Yeah, I, I'm noticing that the shine from that Lombardi trophy right now, baby. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I keep it nice, nice and polished up, just to remind the haters I got a ring. <laughs> well, you know, you and I have you've been on my show a couple different times before, and we, we've talked about a lot of different things, especially your foundation, which we'll 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 hit on in a few minutes. Um, you know, talk about for you in this in this atmosphere we're going on right now, the quarantine time and you know, the situation that we've been in, talk about how difficult it has been for keeping uh, the fans who listen to the show entertained and being able to do what you guys normally do, because you have a great rapport with Dave, Dave Rothenberg and, um, oh my God, <laughs> Rick DPJ. I'm sorry. I had, a, I had a brain fart. You talk about how hard it has been to keep the shows uh, as entertaining as you guys normally are when there's sports going on. Well, it's actually it's actually not as hard as you might imagine. I mean, we're, we're typically talking about sports, but we're usually breaking down games. I think now, based on where we're at, this current climate, we just have to kind of dig into more of our personal experiences and the things that we're going through. And we really sympathize with all the other sports fans out there because at the end of it, we're sports fans. And so we're going through it just like everybody else is. We're craving live team sports to come back. And it seems like that's going to happen sooner rather than later, especially when it pertains to the NBA and the NHL, MLB, not so much. But, I mean, we feel good about where we're at. It finally feels like we've gotten to the other side of this pandemic and, and we're going to be seeing live team sports sooner rather than later. Yeah, we see the start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Do you think that the NBA and the NHL are doing things the right way as far as coming back and sort of like a central location, having everybody there instead of, you know, just having empty arenas in that sense. Well, I think because their regular seasons have pretty much been wrapped up, they, they have the opportunity to transition almost straight into the postseason. And so I think that when you start talking about the concerns around COVID-19, I, I think you can limit opportunities to transmit the virus um, amongst league personnel when you do that bubble format. And the players are going to sign up for it because it still represents a chance for them to compete for a championship. So I don't think you have to deal with, you know, the pushback from the player's side on being confined for the next, you know, six to eight weeks while they're competing and trying to win a ring. So I think just by by circumstance, by virtue of the calendar, the, the NHL and the NBA had an advantage as opposed to MLB in terms of formatting a return to play. Can you uh, give us the player perspective? You have been on that side when it came to as far as having to negotiate with unions and talking with uh, you know the owner side and just the you know the NFLPA and the owners. What was that like? And you know, being a representative uh, of of the players, can you talk about what your role was and how it was to have to be be a voice for them? Well, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, it's almost like you have to play peacemaker. You know, with the NFLPA, you're talking about having 2,000 constituents thereabouts and and trying to get everybody on the same page. You have so many different interests because guys are in different situations. You know, 
a guy in his rookie year is not thinking about the same things that a guy in year seven or eight is thinking about. You know, a guy that's on the precipice of free agency is not thinking about a guy that's close to retirement. So, I mean, it's just, there's so many different interests. You're trying to come up with the best plan that, that, you know, takes care of the most important things as it pertains to not only the current guys, but the future of the union. And um, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, it's just, by the nature of it, the owners, it's easier for them to be in alignment with what the needs of one another are, you know, because you're talking about 32 owners, their interests are somewhat aligned with players. That's not necessarily the case. So it's always tougher to get all the players on the same page than it is the owners on the same page. So that's why, that's why, <laughs> that's why owners usually have an advantage when you're talking about these labor negotiations. Yeah, but like you just said, as soon as you just gave that number, and I was like, yeah, it's about it's a couple, you know, close to two thousand people compared to thirty-two. And the thirty-two yeah. are probably going to win because they usually all have the same goal. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we uh, one of the things I never really got a chance to talk to you about. Uh, you know, we, you and I have had many conversations, but you know, the transition from player to broadcaster you know you were towards the end of your time with the ravens you had already started making that transition you had been doing a lot of call and stuff while you were still in here at new york when did you decide that that was gonna be the route that you wanted to go when the nfl decided that they were done with me (laughs) (laughs) it came down to i mean my last year in baltimore ended uh on ir i had a shoulder injury and i was rehabbing off season um spring of 2016 and i got a call from one of the teams in the AFC and, you know, they, they, they told me to hold tight. We'll see what happens. We'll see what develops. And when I didn't get a call back is when I realized that I was probably not going to be playing in the NFL anymore. So I just decided that that was the right time for me to make my transition and focus my attention on trying to get into the media. I didn't know where my end would be. I didn't know where I would start, but uh, I'm thankful that 98.7 gave me an opportunity starting as a weekend host with Anita Marks and then uh, my career kind of evolved from that point. Anita, Anita is awesome. And for, for a young lady, man, she certainly knows her football. And I think she, she, I think she might have gambling too. Oh yeah. Well, I think she might've forgotten more football than I'll ever know. And uh, I hate to put it like that, but you know, you, um, you know, you have a championship with the giants. Let's talk about your, your on field. Uh, career for a little bit can you talk about that season and the term getting hot for that Giants team right at towards the end of the season you you beat the Jets beat the Cowboys in that final game of the year what was that season that ended that season going into that playoff run like what, what can you talk about the atmosphere and what was like like in that locker room well, 2011 was such an interesting year because, as you remember, we had the lockout. So we, we didn't have the off-season strength and conditioning program. We didn't have OTAs. We didn't have mini camp. And there were questions as to where we were going to do our training camp. At that point, we were going up to UAlbany and, and spending you know five or six weeks up there for training camp before we came back down to uh, Quest Diagnostics. So It was just so, so much stuff that was up in the air. But when we finally got approval to come back in the buildings and, um, you know, they solidified plans for the preseason, I think everybody in that locker room recognized that we had the talent to make a run. If you remember, Randy, we started that season, I want to say we were six and two. And the highlight of that was a win up in Foxborough. Yep. So we believed that we had the talent to compete at a championship level. 
It was just a matter of making sure that we were playing well at the right time. Now, after we started that way, we went through a little bit of a midseason low. We lost four straight games. And then all of a sudden, you started hearing the grumblings about Tom Coughlin might be fired and the Giants ownership is thinking about cleaning house. Everybody's on the hot seat. And then um, somehow, some way, we were able to, you know, kind of get into a position where we needed to win two games in order to get into the tournament. And at that point, it was a decision that we all collectively made on that team that we were going to go all in. And we said, we, we don't know how it's going to end. We don't know what the outcome will be, but we're just going to do as much as we can for as long as we can. And it ended up being enough to win a championship. So, I mean, the 2011 season and, and, and that Super Bowl team, that's just the, that's the epitome of 53 guys being willing to sacrifice and commit to something greater than themselves. And the result was a championship. I remember watching that Green Bay game, and I said to myself, if you guys are able to beat out Green Bay, it, you guys are going to be able to go. Because it seemed like every loss that you guys had earlier in the year that year, you had a loss against San Francisco. You had a loss against Green Bay. And, San Francisco was a close game. Yeah, San Francisco was a close game. But it was still a, a loss earlier in the year. So every game you had was a bounce back. So it was... You didn't play the Falcons earlier in the year, but man, you guys romped them. Like everyone thought that was going to be the game of the week, and that was you. You guys put a hurting on them. You guys put a real hurting on them. Everybody except for us, we knew that wasn't. Going to be. <laughs> you know, it, that wasn't the game we were worried about. But I, I got to tell you this, Randy. The only opponent in the playoff field that year that we were really worried about was the New Orleans Saints, and that's really? because we. If we were to end up having to play them, we'd have to go down to the Superdome again. And they embarrassed us in primetime football in the regular season. I want to say it was a Monday night game. And that was yeah. during that, that four-game losing skid that we had. And they just – I mean, it was a romp down there. And, and we just – that was an environment that we didn't feel confident that we could go into and win. But conversely, we felt confident about competing – against Green Bay. It didn't matter where we played the game. We felt like we matched up well against them. And because the game was so closely contested out in Candlestick, we, we had, you know, we had a pretty pretty good feeling about going out there and being able to pull off the win if we would end up in the NFC Championship game. So, I mean, once we beat Atlanta and Green Bay, I mean, we knew San Francisco was going to be a tough fight, but we were just happy to see San Francisco beat New Orleans the week yeah. before. That was a close game. And uh, once we saw Alex Smith running down the sideline and, and, and setting up the game-winning score, I, I mean, we, we we felt like we were in business. Not only that, but after that game, you guys had to duct tape Eli back together because Eli took a beating that game. Um, yeah, he wow, did. yeah, but he played out of his mind. I mean, that was that was one of the best performances that I had seen from a quarterback in my entire time watching the NFL from a kid to now. I mean, that was. That was a gutsy performance by Eli Manning. He just kept picking himself up off the turf. Didn't matter whether it was Ray McDonald or Justin Smith or Alden Smith. They just they they took turns taking shots at Eli Manning, and he just kept getting up. He kept showing up. But I think that that resembles the kind of team that we had because even when we got knocked down, we just found ways to get back up off the mat. And um, again, that that was that was a gutsy team. And that run that run basically encapsulates what that team was all about. Can you let's talk about Eli for a minute here. You know, obviously retiring this past year. 
do you think he gets the credit he deserves for his mental toughness being in New York, being a New York uh, quarterback, having to deal with the media, have to deal with the ruling fans and being able to have the success he had without an offensive line since that 2011 championship team, that offensive line has never really felt like it really was together to protect him. In your, in your opinion, does he get the credit he deserves? I don't think he does because once he retired, you know, you had all these questions about is he a Hall of Famer or isn't he? And I, I just – it didn't make sense to me just just off of the two runs that Eli made alone. You, you got you to gotta give him the nod to be putting on a gold jacket and being enshrined in Canton. But, um, you know, Eli Manning, since he was drafted, has done nothing but represent the Giants organization with class on the field as well as off the field. And that's one of the things that people don't realize about being the quarterback of the New York Giants. You got to deal with the New York media and the New York fan base. And not every quarterback is built for that. So you got to give Eli Manning credit for being able to take all of the slings and arrows when the team underperforms. And the fact that he does that without pointing the finger at anyone else, I mean, that's when you got to give him a tip of the cap. I mean, Eli Manning is a special player. And it's not just his physical attributes, it's his mental makeup as well. So, yeah, I don't think he gets nearly the kind of credit that he deserves for his mental toughness. What kind of leader was he in the locker room? He was a lead-by-example guy. I mean, one of the things about those Giants championship teams was there was a bunch of blue-collar guys, lunch pail, go to work, um, not trying to be flashy, um, not trying to stand out above the rest of your teammates. It's all about just trying to work and trying to win each day. You know, my, my position coach, Mike Waffle, used to always say everybody wants to win on Sunday, but it's the guy that wants to win Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that's going to have the best chance when we get out there in between the white lines. So I just – I think that was the, the mentality of the Giants team. Jerry Reese and Tom Coughlin were intentional about bringing in guys that had that kind of mindset, guys that wanted to work hard. The Giants defensive line in 2011, we came into work every off day to get a lift in. Everybody's responsible for getting three lifts during the course of the week in the regular season. And for the defensive line, we wanted to prioritize getting a really good workout. So we did it on our off day together. And every single time we went into the weight room, guess who was there? Eli Manning. <laughs> and, and so you, you, you just – that kind of guy showing that kind of consistency with his approach preparation, but to respect him in the locker room so was establishing the standard that everybody was going to have to meet when they became a part of the Giants and when they came to work every day. You know, it's funny too. One of the things that I said about both of those championship teams that beat the New England Patriots, the key word for me, both on the offensive defensive side of the ball, were depth. Something that I always felt that this Giants team has needed. They, they, the, the great signings and the drafting of some of these rookies that they've had is great, but the championship teams had depth in their offensive offensive line and the defensive side of the ball. Do you think that's what this team needs now to start, to start building on those, those particular uh, the offensive line and more of the, uh, the linebacker situation there? They really need to build that and build some depth to have guys, if, if A is out, B is coming in without missing a beat. That's been a problem for this team for the last few years. I wanted to get your take on that. Well, it's been a problem for these teams the, the better part of this decade. And 
and hasn't showed up in, since the last two or three years. I mean, I think over the last three years, the Giants have the worst record in football. And the reason for that is the team hasn't been very strong in the trenches. The offensive line and the defensive line have left a lot to be desired. Now, today, Gettleman's credit, the last couple of drafts, he's tried to address it. I mean, you have Dexter Lawrence. You have B.J. Hill in there. You have Andrew Thomas. You have Will Hernandez. I mean, so you're starting to see, you know, he's investing on that side of the ball. Even bringing Kevin Zeitler in from the Cleveland Browns was a fantastic get, that trade. So I just think that Dave Gettleman has been intentional about trying to, you know, build up the O-line and the D-line. He calls them the Hog Mollies. Um, those groups haven't played well in his tenure as the general manager, but I'm hoping that you start to see some return on that investment this upcoming season. Let's look at the uh, other side of MetLife Stadium, the New York Jets. Um, I, I always feel like it's always Randy, something. you look so frustrated. You look so yeah. frustrated. <laughs> you, know, you know what it is? Because I'm trying to find the right words. Because You know what? You know what? I think that's interesting, Randy, because we were talking about the Giants having the worst record in football over the last three years, and yet you almost feel better about their trajectory than you do the Jets. Yeah, because you know what it is? It's like on paper, and you're like, in the big scheme of things, you're like, okay, you know, they should be better. They should just be better because the amount of talent that they have, the, with the quarterback that they have, a rising star quarterback, they should just be better. Obviously, you know, with the mono early in the year for Dar Donald last year, not being able to play, but still, you're just like, even up for the years past, they can just never get it right. And I've always said, and you can disagree with me on this. Um, I've always said that the management is a reflection to the product on the field, no matter what sport it is. If, if the top of the organization is committed, it goes all the way down to the last guy on the field. If the front office is a mess and the left foot doesn't know what the right foot's doing, it's going to reflect on the field. It reflects with the Mets. It reflects with, for a long time, the New Jersey Nets. It was always a mess. I always felt that the Jets, because of the way things were being run there at times, it was a reflection of the product on the field. Yeah, when you when you have dysfunction at the top of the organization, it's going to trickle down. And, and that's the one thing that the Jets just haven't had. They haven't had any stability. And when you don't have the infrastructure in place, it makes it hard to get the best out of your people. It doesn't matter what business you're in. We're talking about a football team, but you could be talking about any corporation around America. Right. When you True. don't have the infrastructure in place, it makes it hard to get the best out of your people. It makes it hard to get your players and coaches to realize their full potential, and the Jets just have not had that. They've had too much turnover, too many coaching changes, too many changes in strategy and philosophy when it comes to the identity of the club. And so, you know, I, I'm excited about Joe Douglas. You know, I know him going back to the Baltimore Ravens organization. I know he grew up with them in the Philadelphia Eagles organization. So he's learned from two of the best in Howie Roseman, Roseman and Ozzie Newsom. And so I, I think that they're on the right track with that. They gave him a six-year contract. So we'll kind of have to take a take a wait-and-see approach. But I like what he's done in his first offseason on the job. Some of the moves, solidifying the offensive line, smart free agent moves, not overspending for anybody. But we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. Um, it's so tough to try to figure out where the Jets are going to go in 2020 just because it, you really don't know whether or not they have a quality head coach. I'm not a believer in Adam Gates, and I know he's had some, you know, some issues with some of the personalities in his locker room. And, you know, anytime that you have questions at the head coaching spot, 
it, it makes it a little tough to try to evaluate the team and project where they're going to go. And not only that, but when your head coach is dictating more than what your general manager is doing, it's 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 gonna it's it's hell in a handbasket. It's not it's never gonna work. And I think that's what the problem was with the Jets last year, with, with the with all the moving around in the front office after free agency and after the draft. It just it's it's hard, like you just said, it's hard to build build stability. It's just well, you know, the one thing I could never understand, and they bought Adam Gase in to be a quarterback whisperer and an offensive guru. They had the worst offense in the NFL. You paid all of this money for Le'Veon Bell. Now, I know that it was Mike McCagnin and not Joe Douglas, and Gates wasn't necessarily on board with the decision. But nevertheless, Le'Veon Bell is on the team. I don't understand why there were only three games where Le'Veon Bell had north of 21 carries. That that part of what happened in 2019 will never make sense to me. So, again, I mean, you can have great schemes, but you got to first figure out a way to have good relationships with the guys in the locker room. If your head coach doesn't have that skill set, then it's going to be hard to be successful in today's game with today's athlete. But that's what you, exactly what you just said, though. You have to identify what your uh, identity of the team is. If you have one of the best runners and the best running back in football, or one of them, wouldn't you want to focus on him? And you know, one of the things. Brandon, look at it this way: Who else do you want to get the ball to? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's but that's that's my thing too. It's like you can you, everyone can say what they want, but when Mark Sanchez was with Rex Ryan, though they knew what Mark Sanchez was those first two years. He was a rookie quarterback, wasn't going to throw the ball much, so they focused on the running game, and he only threw when he had to. Then that third year, he's like, "Well, I'm going to expand my game out and start throwing the football," and he was doing things that wasn't successful the previous two years. Don't try and be something you're not. If you have your strength here, which is your running game, focus on your running game. It's like, why not? It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm sorry. I'm, I am I try to be logical sometimes. And sometimes you're trying to be logical in an illogical situation. It just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so too much sense. Yeah, it takes way too much sense. Uh, so, you know, one of the things I like about listening to you guys um, on ESPN radio is you and DiPietro have a quite so, such great chemistry with each other. Can you talk about, um, you know, when you guys all got together? Because I know originally it was Alan Hahn and then and then you two. And then you guys made the switch with Dave Rothenberg. Was there a comfort level that you guys had with Alan that wasn't there with David? Because it's two totally different personalities. What was that transition like with the change? And what was your initial thought with about you know, working with Rick, being a hockey guy, you being a football guy? What was that like? Well, I mean, Rick is an athlete. You know, I know it's a different sport, but he's an athlete and he understands, you know, the dynamics of a locker room. So anytime we just started doing the show, it just felt like I was back in the locker room talking sports with my teammates. And so that's what what made that uh, made that connection cool initially. And I think that's the kind of chemistry that we've been able to build on. As far as the switch from Allen to Dave, you're right, Randy. They're two different personalities. Um, at the time, Alan wanted to take a step back for some other things, some other reasons. Um, and so, you know, we moved forward with Dave Rothenberg. And the one thing I'll say about Dave is that his sports knowledge, just, just his knowledge base about the history uh, of all the sports and the history all, of all the local clubs um, is, is a tremendous value to our show. And his contribution in that regard um, is is just amazing. Um, the way that he's able to frame the conversation and, and set Rick and I up to make our best points, um, that, that's a skill set that you develop over time, just gaining the experience and being a radio host. So it's really cool because Dave makes the conversation really easy for Rick and I to have. 
I met Dave once, and, I, and I, the voice did not match up with the face originally. When I, saw it. <laughs> I, I thought he was going to be this muscular, tough guy, and it's like, all right, so this is the guy I heard the story about who was ripping his clothes off during the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's that that you know ugh, that didn't match up well. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Thank God, I never want to. I never want to imagine this guy ripping his clothes off. Again. <laughs> uh, you guys have, like I said, a great chemistry, and one of the things that I um, also. I take very seriously about being on the air is like you just said, is having the knowledge and having being able to set up your partner in a, in a way they're going to be successful. You being a football guy had to expand out more to baseball, basketball, and hockey, especially with Rick there. You can't get away without talking with, you know, can't get away with it with not talking hockey. How difficult was it for you to, for preparation and knowing that it's not a night off when you get done with your show, you got to go home and sort of keep an eye on what's going on, being able to watch the Yankees and Mets the Knicks and the Nets, you know, the Devils, the Rangers, and the, and the Islanders, having to keep an eye on everything, was that a little bit of a change for you? It was a little bit of a change, but DiPietro and Allen gave me some, some tips in terms of how I could kind of catch up and, and adjust. It's a learning curve, man, just because it's, it's a completely new gig. You know, you might have a certain knowledge base just being in professional sports, but being able to talk about it in a way that the fans that are listening to you can understand is a whole different thing altogether. And so you have to learn that. And a part of that is understanding how you have to do your homework. And so um, those guys did a really good job of, of getting me up to speed, but I think they also did a really good job of challenging me and pushing me on the air to be better. And so I'm forever grateful to Alan and Rick for the opportunity to, to join them on the show. Got to, got to, Got to also give a shout out to Bill Daughtry because he, he's my mentor he's till, still to this day. And he taught me a lot, too, about, you know, preparation and understanding, you know, how to continue to keep a conversation going. That's the cool thing about radio. The conversation is never really over. You know, you take a 21 hour break and you're back at it the next day, which is pretty cool. And so with the New York sports clubs, you get to have this continuing conversation and you'll realize as the season evolves, you have themes around every single team. And so you use the, the recent events, the games that are played, uh, to add a little bit of color to the themes that are going on. But, um, you know, once you get into a groove with that sports season, I mean, it's not a whole lot that changes. You know, you talk about the, the, the games, but you also talk about the themes that define those seasons. So um, it was tough at first. Uh, it was really hard, but – but I'm starting to get the hang of this thing now. I'm not. I'm by no means perfect on air. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think it's a lot easier for me in year four than it was in my first couple of years. What's the line that Vince McMahon always says? One of these times, it, Vince McMahon did what? Did 36 WrestleManias? He goes, one of these years we'll get it right. One of them. <laughs> one of these days, one of these shows we'll get it right. Yeah. Uh, what What do you like to watch on your free time? And I, you and I have always talked sports and, and charity stuff. We never really just talk about what you like to do on your spare time? I like shows, man. I mean, I, I like to watch shows, whether they come on TV or Netflix. Um, some of my favorite shows, I like Million Dollar Listings LA. Um, okay. One of the things that I did when I was playing, I used to moonlight uh, in the real estate game. I used to flip houses in the Carolinas. And so um, that's something that you know, I'm always interested in. Um, what are some of the shows I watch on Netflix? Oh, I love Top Chef. Top Chef on Bravo is another one. Really? I'm, I'm very surprised. It is. Well, I love to eat, and my girlfriend, <laughs> loves to 
So, I mean, it's the perfect combination. You know, we get together, we we sit down, break bread, and watch Top Chef. Like, that is appointment television for us. Um, you know, I, I like shows on Netflix. Um, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm all over the map. You know, I like different series. I like different things. Um, but you, like yeah. HBO, you like HBO shows, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I was in The Power. You know, that ended recently, but I was in The Power. That was one of my shows. Um, Kenya Barrett had a show on Netflix called Black AF. Um, you know what the AF stands for. We can't say it on the podcast. We're going to keep it PG-13. But I love that show. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Like, that's kind of where my lane is. You know what I mean? So, yeah, when I'm not watching sports and nobody's watching sports right now, um, those are some of the things that I get into. Did you ever watch Bar Rescue? I did not watch Bar Rescue. Uh, one of my shows, man. Oh, uh, because I was about to say, my, one, of my, one of my boys is, uh, is was one of the chefs on that show. I should introduce you to him, and he's, uh, he's down in Philly, and he's... I love to hook you two guys up and see if you guys want to just get together and cook because he's no, – No, see, that's – see, Randy, don't mistake it. I'm not saying I'm the cook. I am absolutely not the cook. My girlfriend is the cook. I just love to eat. Okay. That's, that's fair. Yeah, I'm not the cook. That, that Listen, that's fair. I, I remember you guys – If I can get points to things and I say, baby, can you cook that? And if you can't, why don't we experiment and cook it like – for Memorial Day, we put this brisket on and we slow roasted the brisket all day. It was an eight-hour process, but it turned out fantastic. Now, me by myself, I wasn't going to put brisket on the grill, but because she loves to cook and she's never tried it, we dabbled into the brisket and it turned out pretty good. But again, like I said, I, I'm not the guy that loves to cook. I'm just the guy that loves to eat. Yeah, I'm. I try to be some the cook on the grill, and she does the cooking upstairs, and like. Uh, I tried pork chops and I'm like, how are they? She's like, yeah, these could definitely go back on the grill for a few more minutes. I'm like, this is my first time. I get a free pass. I get, I get to pass. Maybe it's all good. It's all good. Uh, so NBA with the NBA coming back, uh, who, who do you think is, I, I chose the Clippers in the beginning of the year because of Kawhi and I, you know, Shame on you. Shame on you. Shame. What are you talking about? I still think they have I, – I don't bet against Doc Rivers and good strategy when, when you have guys on that team who can play like they can play. I know the Lakers are, are – they finished off before we before we ended a very – they finished hot. But I don't know. I just feel like maybe the Lakers are they – they they're not guard heavy. They don't have the guards to get to that. I, I just think the Lakers are – I'm sorry, the Clippers are more balanced out from what they have. Obviously, Kawhi is going to be able to play every single game now for the rest of the way. There's no load management between now and the uh, the, the Western Conference Finals. But I, I don't know. I let, first, My gut is telling me the Clippers over the Lakers. Well, I mean, that's not crazy. I think the Clippers have the third best odds of any team, according to Vegas, to win the NBA title. It just so happens that my favorite team, the Los Angeles Lakers, have the best odds. <laughs> now, I, won't, I won't argue with you. I think the Clippers have a much more balanced roster. But the Lakers have two top seven players in the world. And, oh, by the way, the Lakers have LeBron James. Yeah. They might, yeah. Not, they might not have the guards, but they have LeBron James, who is the de facto point guard. So, I mean, I feel good. I feel good about where they're at. And the, the, the one thing that has come out of all of this is that LeBron James has been able to get some rest. And yeah. he typically doesn't have an opportunity to get this amount of rest going into a postseason. So, you know, I feel good for a guy that's in year 17 having a two, three-month hiatus before he's going to be back and competing. I mean, the tank should be full. 
LeBron James should be healthy. He should have the energy. I'm not worried about his conditioning because he takes care of himself. He's one of the best conditioned athletes on the planet. So for me, I, I think the hiatus is going to have less of an effect on the veteran-laden teams than they are on the teams with a lot of young guys playing key roles. And so I feel good about where the Lakers are at, and I, I think they're going to end up finishing the drill. And I got $5,000 on the line with Bart Scott. <laughs> my L.A. Lakers are going to advance to the NBA Finals. So I really need to – if they don't win it, they got to get to the NBA Finals. So okay. I'm going to need for them to knock out the team that you pick, the L.A. Clippers, at some point along the way so they can make that happen. Okay, so I'm going to – because of our friendship, I'm going to root for the Lakers for you. There you go. Okay, so I'm going to do that for you. There you uh, go. I, I'm looking at the Milwaukee Bucks still as a team – my only problem, what I have is Kawhi and LeBron know how to win in those in the NBA. They they've gone through it. They led teams to championships. I don't because Giannis is still very inexperienced in that part of it. I'm not sure that this is going to be him as a leader yet. It took a lot of these guys close to six seven years in the league. To, I'm talking about the great ones like LeBron, even Michael. Michael took eight years to get his first championship. We watched that last dance and was like, oh, my God, he was always great. It took him a while to get there. I think it's going to take Giannis some time to learn the how to win a championship and be a leader. I don't. I just. I think it's going to be one of the two L.A. teams. I can't see Milwaukee. Milwaukee going to the finals, yes. Winning a championship, no. Well, I mean, if Milwaukee gets to the finals, that'll be a step in the right direction, right? It's a, it's a step in the right direction, but one of the things, and I, I look at you know you were you're you're an athlete, you're a champion, so you know about what it, what it takes to win a championship. It takes about sacrifice, and in, as far as being a leader, you know we, we watched that last dance when the Bulls fell to Detroit. That team the next day was back in the training room, and, and they were ready to go. They they were prepping. They wanted that next season to start. When and Jordan realized in that moment he had to get stronger in order to deal with the physicality of the Pistons right. and other big boys in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you have to be able to set that tone as a leader. It's what we talked about with Eli Manning. And I have no doubt that, that Giannis will, you know, he has the ability to do that, but you don't know what you don't know. And for a guy that's never been on that stage, you, you realize it's going to take some time and it's going to take some failure at that level in order to finally have a chance to get that breakthrough. And so for Milwaukee, I think it's important for them to take the next step um, as a team to have that experience in this year. And if they get to the NBA Finals, I I'm not saying that they should count that as a win, but I, I think that's a season that they can feel good about building on going into 2020-2021. Uh, Chris, before we leave, uh, I want to definitely want to talk about your foundation. How is everything going with it, um, especially during this tough time? I th I'm assuming that things got uh, put on hold for a little while. Yeah, everything got put on pause. On pause, we had to um, we had to reschedule our golf outing, and so we have a tentative date yet, but we're not announcing anything because we don't know if uh, if the the guidelines and the protocols will allow us to actually have it um, later on this summer. We also had to cancel our football camp. Randy, you know how much I look forward to that, being able to oh, work yeah. with kids in the tri-state community, teach them the finer points about football, but use football as a vehicle to teach them about life. And so I'm, I'm a little bummed out that we can't do those things. But we have started planning for back to school. We're going to have the backpack giveaway for the kids at the PS43 Jonas Brock Elementary School in the South Bronx. 
Joanna DeLucci and her staff, they do a great job over there. And, and we try to help them out as much as we possibly can. So we are kind of refocusing on getting ready for the back to school stuff. But I mean, the pandemic has thrown everything off and we're like everybody else. We're trying to adjust. But the one thing I'll say is the Chris Candy Foundation will never waver in, in our commitment to being able to serve the kids in the tri-state area. And, you know, you always have our full support. And is there anything we can do on this and from back sports page? You know, we, you know, we always uh, support you 110 percent. Appreciate that, my man. Chris, thanks for giving me some time. Let's let's do some plugs. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, people can find me on social at Chris Candy 99 on all three platforms. And by all three, I mean, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Um, that's where I'm at. So uh, get at me, shout me out and uh, look forward to hearing from everybody. Chris, man, thanks for giving me some time today. I really appreciate it. Randy, I appreciate you having me on. All right, buddy. Look, we'll talk soon, definitely. All right, stay safe. You too. The great Chris Candy joining us here on Off Topic. I can't thank him enough for coming on. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. We're going to be uh, keep doing these podcasts, enjoying it. I hope you guys are enjoying it. We'll announce you who's tomorrow's guest in a little bit. Thanks for watching, everybody. Check us out, backsportspage.com slash Off Topic.